0: Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and if you want to learn more about our church, look us up on Facebook or our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Betsy and I were listening to an interview earlier this week about the issue of anxiety and depression in young children. It was a thoughtful interview and gave us much to think about in the area of how to be parents and raise children. One phrase that resonated with us that we feel can be applied to children and parents and really any person is the idea of trading short-term gain for long-term pain. What does that phrase mean? Short-term gain for long-term pain? We face a temptation to do, uh, when we trade short-term gain for long-term pain, we face a temptation, we all do, to do what gives a reward right now at the expense of our long-term growth and development." In the interview, this was illustrated and framed as parents making accommodations to their children. Uh, the examples were given of maybe at dinner time preparing many different individual meals tailored to the preferences of each family member instead of just one large meal that everybody had to eat and try as a new thing. Another common accommodation was seeking to have no conflict and breaking bedtime expectations instead of sticking it out and going through the routine, even if that meant ending the night with a conflict at bedtime. You might have peace at the dinner table if you just make what everybody individually likes to eat, but you're signing up for years of extra work preparing individual meals. And we end up teaching children that preference Their preference is more important than trying new things or being polite about what they do not like to eat. We're trading short term gain for long term pain. And today we have a psalm in which David declares the importance of having a life that worship God, that worships God and remembers who God is. He proposes short term pain for long term gain. Well what is the short term pain? Well, David proposes practicing a life that is devoted to worshiping God as an individual, as a community, and sharing the greatness of God from generation to generation. Worship, true worship, is not easy. It's not convenient. And it's an exercise in acknowledging that you and I are not the most important people in the room. God is. The discipline of worship is good and rewarding, but it has its moments where it feels like short-term pain. And that short-term pain can look like the faithful practice of being a part of a church, especially if you don't see what the immediate benefit of being part of a congregation is. That short-term pain can be found in the discipline of daily Bible reading and prayer. It can be found in the sharing of testimony of, of with others, especially if you're not comfortable speaking with others about what God has done in your life. There are all kinds of things that that are not easy to do right away, but if we practice them over time, we grow and we get a long-term gain. And David is proposing short-term pain for long-term gain. Sometimes it's easier just to remain quiet about our faith and tell ourselves that we've worshipped God enough, and we've testified enough, and we've remembered enough. But when we do that, we forget about the long-term gain, and that is having a right understanding of God, a right understanding of ourselves, and seeing clearly God's eternal kingdom. An ever-growing, blossoming relationship with God that grows richer and deeper each day is one of the results of that short-term pain of the discipline of a worshiping life. You have to decide that you want to do the hard work of proclaiming Jesus as your Lord and Savior and following Him rightly. So let's go to Psalm 145. It's a little bit longer, but it's a beautiful psalm. It's intricately woven into it. Intricately woven into it is a message of encouragement to worship God rightly, And then it switches over to just simply knowing God's great character and his kingdom. There's like a pendulum going back and forth. You'll see this movement of David saying, I'm going to worship God, and you need to worship God too. And then he stops and he says, this is why God is good. And then he goes back to saying, and and we need to worship God. And then he goes back to saying, and this is why God is good. There's this back and forth in this psalm. And then there's something else about this psalm that you might miss. In fact, it's hidden from us in English. And that is that this psalm, Psalm 145, is an acrostic poem. That is, the major lines of this poem, each line starts with a letter from the Hebrew alphabet, from beginning to end. In English, it would be like saying, you know, the first line starts with an A, and then the next line starts with a B, going all the way through the alphabet until you get to the last line, Z. Uh, In Hebrew, it goes from Aleph to Bet to Gimel to Dalit and then ends with the last letter, Tav, each verse, uh, each line using a letter from the Hebrew alphabet in an order. It's a it's a very deliberate structure, uh, and Dennis Tucker describes it this way, from beginning to end, from Aleph to Tav, this psalm is relentless in its confession of the kingship of God. Well, that's a wonderful idea. Even using this poetic structure, we are being told That we need to be relentless from beginning to end. The beginning of the day to the end of the day. From the beginning of our lives to the end of our lives. In everything that we do, we are to be relentless in declaring the kingship of God, the goodness that he has, and worshipping him. It begins, this psalm begins with David proclaiming that he will bless God's name forever and ever. And it ends in verse 21 the same way. Actually, it's a bigger calling, saying, let all flesh bless God's holy name forever. So I want to read Psalm 145 from the English Standard Translation. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. And the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words. And kind in all of his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling. And raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways, and kind in all of his works. The Lord is near to all who can call on him, and all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him, and he also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. And finally, the last verse, My mouth will speak the praises of the Lord, and let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. Well, I just want to be pretty direct and to the point today. This psalm delivers to us a call to worship God earnestly, and this psalm also declares God's greatness. So we are to worship God earnestly, And the first part of that is that we need to understand that worship means that we humble ourselves. I want to remind you that King David is writing these words of praise to God. He is a human king, and and as a human king, he acknowledges the power of the heavenly king, God the Father. For King David to acknowledge that God is his king, my king, as he says in verse 1, he must humble himself. He has to put his crown down and acknowledge God's crown. David in this moment has to say, you know what, I'm a king, I'm in charge of a lot of stuff, but you know where the real power is? It is in God, the Lord who is king. You know, we like to be our own authority. We love our independence. Our freedom in the nation of America is a true blessing But for the Christian, we must at times take off our own crown. And we, well, not at times, all the time. We need to take off our own crown and recognize that Jesus is our king. So David humbles himself, and we're to humble ourselves. David also declares, it's in verse 2, that worship must happen every day. He says, I will bless your name. What does it mean to bless God? John Piper tells us that when God blesses us, we are strengthened, we are enriched, and when we bless him, we don't necessarily strengthen or enrich God; he doesn't need anything from us instead, our blessing of God is an act of thankfulness for who God is and what he's done for us david he he responds he says he 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 calls out to God and he well David calls himself, he charges himself and to us to practice the daily blessing of God, that is daily thankfulness to God. I think it helps us to understand the importance of being thankful to God, to think of it as a task of blessing God. Uh, I, I think, you know, we talk about being thankful a lot, and it's it's so common, but to use the word, I'm going to bless God, that, that adds an aspect of high privilege that we have to acknowledge and and to bless God with his greatness, declaring what he has done with gratitude. So David, he humbles himself, and he says also, I'm going to daily, repeatedly, all the time, bless God. And then David tells us that worship is not just an individual thing, but it's a communal thing. It's even an intergenerational thing. It's important for us to take time together to worship God. And the intergenerational act of worship is also very critical. I think we forget that a lot in our culture. Um, Here's an idea to think about. We have a culture that loves to make memories. We have families that like to go on a big trip or have a big party or have this fantastic moment where they make a memory. But here, in Psalm 145, we're being asked to share and pass our memories of God from one generation to the next. We're not making memories, we're passing the memories on. And in the Old Testament, there is a pattern. Israel as a nation succeeded when they passed what God had done from one generation to the the next. When that stream of sharing was cut off, Israel would struggle as a nation. And so we need to see that there is an importance from one generation to the next to to share what God has done to pass it on uh this needs to happen in our homes, this needs to happen in our churches this needs to happen in our communities in our in our nation as well. This is not just a retreat back into the good old days but a remembering of what God has done in the past so that we can move forward with an expectation of what God will do next. Now, this is not always easy to do, and, and that's why I began with that little quote, short-term gain for long-term pain. Short-term gain, in this case, would be choosing to be quiet about what God has done because maybe your your kids don't want to hear about it. Or short-term gain, gain might look like uh, having peace on Sunday uh, because you're letting kids get to choose the church that you want to go to, or you're letting the kids choose to stay home. And, and I get that. It's, it's hard. Sometimes it's good to have a, a day where you, you stay home and rest, but sometimes I think we avoid the conflict. But when we do, we are trading a short-term victory for a long-term pain. And that pain is when we forget as a, to pass from generation to generation what God has done. Parents, grandparents, have you taken the time to tell the next generation what God has done in your life? It doesn't need to be forceful, it doesn't need to be dramatic, it needs to be truthful. Just simply saying this is what God has done in my life. Verses 10 and 10 through 12 in this psalm also echo the call to worship God. And, and there is a renewed call to share who God is and, and what he's done from one generation to the next. In verse 12, it says, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds. That's, that theme David says at the beginning of the psalm and then in the middle of it, it needs to be passed from generation to generation. And, and something else I would say that David says about worship, that calling of worship we have placed on our lives, we're going to be humble Uh, We're to pass from generation to generation. Uh, We're to do this daily and to bless God. But he also just describes multiple dimensions to how we worship God. And what do I mean when I say it's multidimensional? And that is that worship is not just about singing songs or meeting at a church once a week. But if you look at the verbs throughout Psalm 145, you'll just see this long list, especially in the first half of the psalm of of David describing how he worships God. It says in verse 1 that he extols God, which means he praises enthusiastically. In verse 2 it says he, he blesses God. and And for some reason for David he says that extolling is one thing, blessing is another. And then in verse 4 he says... You know, one generation is to commend or to tell and declare to another. That's a part of worship. And in verse five, he says, I, "I will worship by meditating on God's greatness." and And verse six says, "I will speak of His awesome deeds and and declare your greatness." and And verse seven talks about the community again, just pouring forth the worship of God, just pouring out oh, out the greatness that just comes rushing out of their mouths. And then verse seven says. You sing you Now we're familiar with the singing part, right? David takes this idea, I will worship God and he breaks it out into many dimensions and says it's it's not just singing a song. it's not just taking a day a week. it's 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 a life uh, devoted in every way possible to declaring God's greatness and goodness and letting people know about that. Do you think of worshiping God? in multiple ways, in a multitude of ways or dimensions? You know, do you you just think of it Sunday mornings? Or do you think of, how am I worshipping God all through the week? Am I worshipping God through speaking to others? Am I worshipping God through taking time to remember what He's done? I love that word when David says, I will meditate. I love that. We would do well to seek to understand more of God. We need to put action to our faith. That's true. But we also, uh, our actions won't be very effective if we haven't taken time to meditate, to dwell on our understanding of God. There's a, a goofy little story about Henry Ford. Uh, he once hired an efficiency expert to evaluate his company. And after a few weeks, the expert made this report, which was highly favorable, except for one thing. He said, there's, there's a man down the hall, said the expert. And every time I go by his office, he's just sitting there with his feet on the desk. He, he's wasting your money. And Henry Ford responded and said, That man once had an idea that saved us millions of dollars. At that time, I believe, his feet were planted on the very same desk that they're on now. He's basically saying that man, uh, through his thoughtfulness, came up with an idea. He needed to think, reflect, meditate. And I think we need to do that with God as well. Think, reflect, meditate. You know, verse 3 of this psalm says that God is unsearchable, But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't search out God. It just means that what we can know about God is inexhaustible. We need to meditate upon him because there's far more in him than we can possibly grasp in in just one go. We could spend our whole lives thinking about God and there would still be more to learn. Uh, We need to meditate upon him and his word. The rabbis would describe the word of God like a diamond cut with many faces, and as you examine it and turn it, it continues to sparkle and reflect the light in new ways. You're looking at it one way and then you turn it and the light shifts and it looks like a whole new diamond. And I think God is like this as well. There's always more and there's always a deeper wonder to learn about in God. So David talks a lot about what it is to worship God. But then Psalm 145, as David writes, he also declares God's greatness and that we are to, to just take in that knowledge and celebrate it. David may say that God is unsearchable, but then he shares what he has found in his own search of God. And you, if you go through this psalm, you'll see there's a series of phrases, the Lord is. And you'll also see that there's a series of declarations about what the Lord does so, you know, we could just look at a few of those Lord is statements real quickly. Like verse 8, we could we could spend a year looking at verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love. Those four ideas right there, that he is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love. It, it's inexhaustible to try to, to find out what all of that means. But verse, verse 9 also says the Lord is. It says the Lord is good to all. Verse 17 talks about the Lord is. The Lord is righteous and kind. And then we get these other statements about God. Verse 14 tells us the Lord upholds the falling, those who fall. And he lifts up those who are bowed down. Do you remember back in the beginning of the psalm, I talked about King David humbling himself to worship God, the king of heaven? that, That we have this king here on earth, David, having to take a moment where he he puts aside his crown, he, he puts aside his personal authority, he humbles himself. And here we see that God lifts up those who are bowed down. This humbleness that, that David has is not a demeaning humbleness, but it's a life-giving humbleness. As he humbles himself, God lifts him up and verse 15 and 16 there's another description of God and it simply can be summed up like this and in many different ways it describes how God takes care of us and you could think of it as you know the sustaining power of God and we don't often think about that uh, as Christians but we need to understand that creation is held together by God's will we have this day and this life His God is willed, and He holds all together, and He provides for all that we need. Verse 18 describes God as near to those who call on Him in truth. Now Jesus echoes that, this call to worship, to worship in truth. In John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, He says these words, but an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. So there's power. God is near to those who worship Him in truth. And we have to decide to trust that He's near. We we can't always feel it. We can't always uh, experience a presence but to understand that if we worship God in truth, we practice that, He is near us. And then verse 19 gives us a few more description of, of, of what God is like. It says, God fulfills those who fear Him. He fulfills, He, he completes, he, he blesses those who fear Him. And, and verse 19 also says, He hears our cries. And then verse 20. I see it as a warning. The Lord preserves all those who love Him. That's the one side of it. The good side, right? And then there's the warning side. But all the wicked, He will destroy. And I think David wants us to understand that one of the quickest ways to enter the category of the wicked is to refuse to live a life that continually worships God. If you want to be wicked... Don't do what verses 1 and 2 of this psalm say when David declares, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever, and every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. I mean, how complete is David describing his worship when he says, I'm going to do it every day, and I'm going to do it forever and ever. It's, It's an unending declaration of worship. And then David ends his psalm with another declaration of how he's going to worship God. He says in verse 21, My mouth will speak the praises of the Lord, and let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. You know, the declaration that David makes makes all the difference in his life. You know, we're here on the heels of the Fourth of July, when America declared independence from England. And that declaration made all the difference. I've read this story a few times and it's just, uh, just an eye-opener of that Declaration of Independence. It reads like this. 56 men signed the Declaration of Independence. Their conviction resulted in untold sufferings for themselves and their families. Of the 56 men, five were captured by, by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in the Revolutionary Army. Another had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 fought and died from wounds or hardships of the war. Carter Braxton of Virginia, a wealthy planter and trader, saw his ships sunk by the British Navy. He sold his home and properties to pay his debts and died in poverty. At the Battle of Yorktown, the British General Cornwallis had taken over Thomas Nelson's home. For his headquarters, Nelson quietly ordered General George Washington to open fire on his own home. The home was destroyed, and Nelson died bankrupt. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside as she was dying. Their thirteen children fled for their lives. His fields and mill were destroyed. For over a year, he lived in a forest and in caves, returning home only to find his wife had died and his children had vanished. A few weeks later, he died from exhaustion. The Declaration of Independence, that declaration made the difference. It helped them through uh, reforging the colonies, those 13 colonies from just colonies to a nation. A declaration made all the difference. And now we are called here at the end of this psalm to make a declaration of how we will respond to God. I like the words of Joshua at the end of the book of Joshua. It's chapter 24, verse 15. And Joshua says this to the nation of Israel. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, you, that they served uh, in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in the lands you dwell. But for as for me and my house, this is where Joshua makes his declaration, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I would encourage you to today, to decide, to declare what King David declared. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. In all circumstances, worship God and do everything you can to invite others to worship Him as well. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be a worshiping people that we would Declare your goodness in many and varied ways. That we would be a people who practice worship every day, all the time. That we would be humble. That we would share from one generation to the next the memory of what you have done. Help us to be faithful in that task so that others would know your goodness, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.